don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Give us some men who know the truth! And who will declare the truth? And who will stand with Athanasius and Polycarp and Calvin and Luther and Whitfield and Edwards? And who will declare from the housetops that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? All right, what's up, guys? So we just finished our four-day trip with Canyon Ministries. I'm here with Nate Loper, executive director of Canyon Ministries. And we had an awesome trip. I'm telling you guys, you need to get on a river trip with Canyon Ministries, a four-day, seven-day. You got to book it really early in advance because everyone that goes wants to go again, and people love it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I can see why now. You just got to drink a lot of water um, is the key. So, um, so I stuck around because I can't get enough of the canyon now. And we're, where are we headed right now, Nate? So Caleb, we're heading to a Red Mountain Volcano. Um, a really interesting post-flood volcano, you know, something that erupted after the flood in Noah's day. And we're going to be able to actually climb up inside of it because the whole front face has collapsed out of it. And it's exposed the inner workings of this volcano, the piping structure. And so beautiful hoodoos, and we're actually going to be going into the heart of a volcano, so to speak. And a fantastic, one of my favorite hikes here in northern Arizona. Hey, that's awesome. I've, I've never done this, so I'm actually pretty psyched about this right now. Um, hopefully it doesn't, it's not going to erupt right now, right? Nope, no chance. <laughs> I just had to ask. Um, <laughs> so we were on what we call the lower river, right? Correct. In these past couple days in the rafting trip. And we actually saw um, a lot of evidence of lava flow in the canyon. And and so that, that was pretty interesting seeing that. And there used to be a big dam that was formed because of the lava flows. Um, when was that? Yeah, so sometime after the canyon was carved, Caleb, we had uh, multiple lava flows that erupted. Some of those lavas on the rim that actually spilled lava all the mm. way down to the bottom of the canyon, even down to the river, and actually dammed up the river in a few different places. And then eventually those those dams made inner canyon lakes for a short period of time mm. before the water burst through there and then wiped out those dams and removed all that. But you can still see wow. the lava and even the, you know, the lava dam works, you might say, of that. Wow, so was it multiple lava flows? That we're talking about? Yeah, multiple lava. Flows. Okay. You know, about a dozen, we would say. Wow. Was there one in recent history in the 1900s that happened? Um, no, the most okay. recent ones would be probably about a thousand years ago, mm. think, right around there, because of some of those lava flows that actually had erupted and spilled into Native American villages where there was actually pottery and things like that that were encased by lava. So, wow. Direct evidence that these volcanoes, some of them were very recent, you know? Wow. That's awesome. Now, there's actually a lot of controversy on some of the dating of the lava flows, is that right? Correct, yeah. Okay, now, if I understand it right, they're dating some of the lava older than some of the layers on the bottom of the canyon, is that correct? Correct, yeah. Okay, what's going on there? So in the Grand Canyon Supergroup, we do have a layer of basalt called the Cardenas Basalt. Okay. And using rubidium dystrontium radiometric dating, it actually dated as much younger than the recent lava flows on the rim of the canyon from the Uncaret Plateau. And so it doesn't make any sense. It's the exact opposite of what we'd expect to find. The lowest layers should come back with dates that are much older than the layers up on top. Okay. It's the exact yeah. opposite in this case. 
Wow, yeah, that that seems like a big um, problem if you're having inconsistency there, right there with the layers. Um, and so I think that ended up pushing back the dating of the canyon itself when they originally did that, right? Yeah, perhaps, yeah. Okay, because secular geologists are dating the canyon being carved, what, five, six million years ago, is that right? Yeah, between five and six million years is typically okay. what most would say. Some would even argue that it's even 70 million years in the making. It's been going on longer than even that. However, some secular geologists are even saying much more recently, you know, mm. if you're not talking about the Colorado River, maybe another mechanism of a lot of water, you know, could happen much recently, much more recently and uh, rapidly. Yeah, yeah, I know in one of the episodes we did together, we shared a video of Dr. John Douglas talking about that exact idea, right? Exactly, yep. Secular geologist from one of our state universities here in Arizona, and you, that was from the National Geographic show, and you mm. can actually see that not all geologists agree on how this canyon was formed or even the mechanisms by which it was formed. You know, if the, the river even had much to do with it or if it yeah. was formed rapidly and catastrophically. Yeah, that, that's pretty exciting to see. And I remember watching that video and it really, it tied everything together for me. And you know, I heard that a lot this week during the, the river tours, everyone was saying, everything is just coming together. And that was that was pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's there's a lot of lot of information we share, but I think I can, I can confirm myself and, and many others who were on the trip that it really uh, it just uh, lights up a passion for you about how this is all pointing to the glory of God. And and now I, I was joking earlier how I'm dreaming about rocks now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club, my friend. <laughs> so um, those, I've I've never had dreams like that of sedimentary layers and folded rocks. Um, now we didn't, I don't think we saw maybe but one, I couldn't get a picture of it in time because I was fumbling around with my phone, but we saw, didn't you see one folded rock layer in the Bright Angel Shale? Yeah, there's a folded rock layer in the Bright Angel Shale right there by the Whitmore helipad in the canyon. So yeah. as we uh, fly in with our helicopter, we can actually see a beautiful um, folded rock layer with multiple different colors and it folded almost completely back on itself actually. That's incredible. Uh, I've seen pictures of those and I know Dr. Andrew Snelling's done a, a lot of research and more that's going to come out on that because and the whole reason that matters is was it folded when it was wet still during the flood and the flood processes right mm -hmm. or did it change because of metamorphic processes am I understanding that right yes yeah, yeah. Okay. so when we have bent and folded rock layers you know, it's really hard to bend a solid slab of, you know, concrete after yeah. it firms yeah. up and dries. It's yeah. hardened, right? Yeah. Um, you can't really bend it. You can fracture it or break it. And the evidence that we see within these are that these uh, folded rock layers have not undergone fracturing to get them to that shape, nor have they undergone a metamorphic process of heat and pressure, wow. you know, crushing it. Otherwise, you would see metamorphic changes within the folds, within the bends. So far, we're working on developing the evidence and showing how that looks to be, you know, in real life. Taken into uh, samples from the park that were gathered in 2017 with yeah. Dr. Andrew Snelling and alongside with us here at Canyon Ministries, part of that trip, and um, taking them to laboratories around the nation and trying to put some work together. So hopefully, Dr. Snelling will have the research yeah. out soon and be able to publish that. And so I'm looking forward myself to learning more about what Dr. Snelling's research shows about that. Yeah, yeah, and we've mentioned that before in our Grand Canyon series. And uh, I think that's going to be exciting to hear about. And, and, of course, there's always claims like creationists are tampering with it. But he's taking it to a lab that, you know, it's going to be completely objective, right? Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, trying to make sure that real science is done in real ways. Yeah. And that there would you know, be kind of a bulletproof argument, you might say, hopefully. And making sure that it's done on the up and up, you know, by scientific standards. Yeah, no, that that's going to be really huge, I think, when it comes out. And 
I hope everyone will check that out. You know, an interesting uh, conversation we had late at night during the first campsite we were at, um, we were talking about the side canyons in the Grand Canyon mm-hmm. and how that's kind of a problem for the Colorado River to carve them. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. We have massive side canyons, Caleb, that are yeah. very deep, you know. I mean, going cutting down through incredible amount of layers and throughout the landscape, yet many of these side canyons are completely dry without any active water source flowing mm. through them. And so the idea is, well, first of all, how do these side canyons get cut so deep with only maybe periodic, you know, rainfall coming through there without an active water source slicing it? And the other side is if the Colorado River is a continual conveyor belt removing all the sediment, then you might think that that would be much deeper than these side canyons would be. Um, but that's not the case that we typically see. I mean, these side canyons are massive in and of themselves. And so that is a problem with secular geology coming to understand the canyon. Yeah. And I can tell you that firsthand because I've been in geological gatherings yeah. with leading geologists around here. And that question has been asked. And he even said, we don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> it is still a puzzle, still a mystery, you know. So, yeah, when it comes to a... Uh, slow carving you know slow erosion process with the colorado river carving the canyon i think there's some bigger questions that are left unanswered than we might even have uh, with a global flood and then post-flood carving canyon model for the grand canyon by a massive lake spillover a breach dam or things like that yeah and breach breach dams carve out side canyons when when the and like that's what we would expect right i, I think we've even seen that in Things like the, the Missoula flood and other things up north, is that right? There's, there's you know, side erosional features that okay. happen from, you know, big breaches. There are, um, you know, backwards eddies that spiral along and cut out, you mm. know, help cut out some U-shaped amphitheaters. But also, we have sapping features from these amphitheaters and side canyons where if you slice down through the landscape rapidly, you expose the water table. Now all the water is underneath, you know, in layers, now starts gushing out laterally from the sides. Oh, wow. And the water gushing out from the sides can then cut backwards, kind of have this headway erosion, head, working its way backwards. And so even water gushing up pulls sediment sideways into the main canyon channel. So that's another mechanism that we see from observable flood processes, even today, of um, basically scalloped edges and um, those are basically sapping features in many cases yeah. that we see. Now, what, what's it, what exactly is sapping? So when you have like a saturated landscape, so imagine you have a whole bunch of like sand with a bunch of water. If you were to dig a little channel through that, sideways erosion is going to start to pull stuff in from the side. The water in the water table, the saturation, is going to start to push in towards that opening where hmm. that gap is in. And if you have a, a, big, a big water table, continual water starts to continually push through and the land around it where the water is ejecting from is going to start to slump in oh. and it usually creates these u-shaped you know amphitheaters yeah. or scalloped edges and yeah. in some cases you know if you have a nice you know spring or stream coming through that's going to continually gush water through it and um, this sediment from the canyon even when the canyon was carved may not have been fully firmed up as solid rock like we see today you know firm enough after the flood to hold its shape you know so yeah. 200 years after the flood but maybe it's not even quite firm up like we see today maybe it's you know even then easier uh, to erode that and for stuff to come sapping out from the sides yeah well that, that's I, I saw so many amphitheaters when we were on the on the uh, the raft and we we noticed that a lot we got a lot of videos and footage of that and and uh, when it, besides when I was trying to not get knocked off the boat <laughs> I sat in the front and actually I got knocked back several times <laughs> the person next to me and uh, that was that's another side thing I'd say is the, the rapids 
I know they're they're more intense on the upper canyon, but they were pretty good on the lower canyon. Yeah, okay, we've got some of the <laughs> biggest whitewater in all of North America down really? there. Really? Okay, I didn't know where that uh, ranked. Yeah, but of course our <laughs> boats, you know, are big enough to handle them, and they're rubber rafts, so they're yeah. designed to bend and flex with the wave. Yeah. It allows us to take anybody 8 to 88, we kind of say, is a joking way. But yeah, we have people of all ages and all skill levels. What's the oldest person who's, who's come on the raft? Well, we've had people that are 88. I don't know what the oldest person was. Um, yes, they might not want to say. My oldest was 78 and did really? fantastic. And I was on a big Upper River seven-day trip. And, you know, he did all the hikes, all the really? raft me. That's Sat awesome. in the front of the boat almost the entire trip. In the, so, wow. It gets cold up in the front, I'll tell you that much. It gets splash, but <laughs> yeah. if you get a little bit too cold, you can always move to the back to the princess seat. <laughs> the princess seat. You'll notice that's where I usually sit. <laughs> I let you guys have all the front, you know, all the fun seats and all the big rapids up front. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. Um, you know, I, I, was, uh, I got this cool little um, river guide when I was up there. We stayed at the Barton Ranch and picked up this river guide that tells us what, what you'll be looking at on each mile during the... The river tour and that it was really awesome of, of course they have a what we call a secular geology um perspective on the the carving of the canyon and the layers being carved and so i, I think it's really useful to kind of compare pair notes with their um, their perspective and the biblical perspective and the timeline and so on uh, one of the things they they were talking about was um just these rising and falling oceans i think that it's like six or seven times or something up to 17 different times oh wow yeah, okay that's, that's higher than i thought that's a lot now um of course the one of the things we did see uh that was significant <clears throat> well several things on this river trip but we saw the great unconformity mm-hmm. and and we saw the contact lines between the layers meaning they're pretty flat and we don't see these massive erosional features of it uh of that are really huge that would show a large amount of time happening between the layers um and we've talked before about the great unconformity that's uh we're we're saying that's when the flood started is that right yeah that's a worldwide erosional feature that we find where mass amounts of water started to scour the earth and Mm -hmm. geologists pretty much all agree when you look at things like the tapete sandstone at the bottom of the grand canyon where we find that great unconformity geologists all agree that the tapete sandstone was deposited or laid down by fast-moving water mm. and it creates a huge erosional plane and the question is did that form over billions to billions of years of slow gradual erosional processes or was that a big process happening rapidly by a, perhaps a lot of water right either a long time and a little bit of water or a long or a lot of water in a little bit of time you might yeah. say yeah yeah no that was awesome especially seeing that that tapete on the top and then we saw some rounded uh, pebbles yeah um, right there, and, and we'll get the pictures up here in the video as well. Um, you know, in the some of these books, they have um, they they mention things in here, and this is the the Belknap guide, but they mention all these layers, and we see it kind of like it was sheared off at the beginning of the flood. Um, this national erosional feature right under the Tapete sandstone that, like you said, the Tapete goes transcontinental, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound like a local flood. No, not at all. <laughs> and um, you know, uh, it's funny. I've been studying some on the extinction of dinosaurs, and it, basically they're saying they went extinct by local floods all around the world. But if you just connect that, it's a global flood. <laughs> um, but what, one of the things I noticed too, and I was talking with you during the week, was this um, this thing called dolomite is found in a lot of these um, <clears throat> beginning layers of the flood, if you will. And it, what what is dolomite? So dolomite, Caleb, is formed by seawater typically, mm. and 
Um, it's kind of almost like a type of limestone, but you have much more magnesium added to it. So it's almost equal amounts of calcium and magnesium. And uh, dolomite is actually a problem for geologists to explain on how it actually is formed. It, there literally is in the geological you know, circle what they refer to as the dolomite problem. Because oh, wow. you see huh. there are mountains, you know, like um, in northern Italy and places and parts of the Alps where there are huge dolomite mountains. But the process of how dolomite is actually formed is still to this day a mystery to most geologists. Now, look, some of the research indicates that dolomite had to have been formed by hot water um, within, within that to cause the reactions and things necessary for that magnesium to, to uh, take place as some of the calcium carbonate in there and to create dolomite which is a mystery to um, yeah. everyday geological processes looking at how today's present processes work you know how do you have super hot you know ocean water you know around the world it doesn't make sense in today's processes but if you think yeah. about a flood the beginning of the flood we believe the continents were breaking apart right mm. that magma was being added to the oceans we have a much you know heated oceans in some yeah. places well that increases our ocean temperature from an average today of about 39 degrees Fahrenheit wow. to a global average of 86 degrees Fahrenheit during the year-long flood. But in some places, localized areas, it's going to be much hotter, giving perhaps the right mechanisms for this dolomite to form. And the fact that we find dolomite not only in, in certain regions, but we find dolomite three, out even sandstone layers. Oh, really? You know, there are sandstones that many geologists believe were deposited by wind-blown sand, you know, alien environments. Yeah that contain dolomite, seawater. So wait a minute, was wait, it wait. deposited by water or was it deposited by wind? Yeah, that's an inconsistency. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's a big mystery. Yeah. And even in creation geology, we're still trying to piece together the exact sure. mechanisms by which dolomite is formed. Um, but there is such, it's such a big mystery to everyday processes of geology that they actually call it the dolomite problem. Mm. Wow, that's interesting. Especially thinking about if they're gonna go with the rising and falling oceans, What's the mechanism causing that over and over? Right. Um, you know, if oceans are, you know, coming across the continents up to 17 different times, you know, millions of years sitting on top of them, and then, it, you know, washing back off the continents for millions of years, dry and solid rock, then millions, that process back and forth, there's no known mechanism yet by which that can form, because you either have to completely raise the oceans or drop the landscape, or maybe a combination of the two. And it's still a mystery, you know, even you know, tectonic processes don't yeah. explain multiple continents being covered with some of the same layers yeah. of water deposited sediment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and it seems like you would see, you would expect to see more erosion between the layers than what we do, right? You'd expect there, yeah. Between these periods of time, between, you know, the uh, transgression of the waters moving on to the continents and then the recession phases, you've got millions of years of exposure of that landscape to the, as a surface of the earth. And if the surface was exposed for millions of years, you should see millions of years of erosion on the surface yeah. of that landscape. You know, channels and valleys and gullies, you know, all kinds of surface erosion, you know, um, we don't typically find that very hmm. much. In most cases, in many cases, we find flat knife edge boundaries yeah. between these rock layers. Oh man, that's awesome. Well, it looks like we're pretty close here um, to the crater, right? We are, we're nearing Sunset Crater, or sorry, Red Mountain Volcano. Um, we're going to be seeing that here shortly, just up here on the left. All right, awesome. Well, we'll catch you guys later.